Our text this morning will be from 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. I'm not rebelling against Pastor Jim. Um, it just so happens that 1 Peter chapter 4 is one of the verses in our scriptures that talks about this word, hospitality. And since we are in 1 Peter, uh, we've already gotten a running start on understanding what's happening in this particular uh, epistle. And so I think that's going to help us with our understanding of this concept of hospitality. We're going to be looking at verses 7 through 11, and that's going to form the framework for our message today. Uh, This isn't going to be truly an exposition of the passage. It's more of a framework, and we're going to focus in on this one verse, um, verse 9, which deals with hospitality. But we're going to use the surrounding verses to help us in the springboard into this topic. So if you're there, let's read together 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What we've been learning in 1 Peter is that we are aliens in this world. We are exiles living in this world. We're sojourners going along the road together to our true home, our true home, which is heaven, that Jesus is preparing for us. And as we live as fellow citizens of this coming kingdom, we are to occupy the embassy of that kingdom in this world. Because we are representatives of God's grace in this world, we are to live with hearts full of love for one another. This action of big-hearted love is shown in our hospitality to each other. To get a full understanding of these verses, uh, 7 through 11, we need to go back to the beginning, to chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. What Peter's saying is, look, you are going through times of suffering. You are living in a world that isn't accepting you. You're living in a world that... It's always frustrating. Things aren't according to the kingdom. Things are according to this world. And that can be so frustrating. It can make you irritable even. We are suffering because we are in conflict with a world that just does not see the value of the kingdom of the coming 
of Christ. But Christ suffered so much more than that. Suffered unto death, the death of the cross. But how did he do it? What was his mentality? How did he treat people around him during that time of suffering? All the suffering that he went through, how did he respond to that? Consider when Judas came to take him and to kiss him on the cheek, and they were getting ready to take him and crucify him. What was Jesus' thought at that moment? His thought was for his disciples. So you came for me, let these go. Even in the midst of all that suffering, Jesus' mind was concerned about his disciples, those that he loved. That was the mind of Christ in the midst of his suffering. He has suffered in the flesh, and whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to these, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. This church, inside these walls, when we all come together, and I would say, even when we go out into our own homes, and we are living together as a community of Subaru Baptist Church, we are a place where we can come together and find love. We can find acceptance in one another. You see, the world is against the kingdom. It is full of debauchery. Uh, if you're on social media, if you go and look at the news, you know, there are times when, you know, during Lent, I'm going to get rid of all the, the uh, reading any news items. Because when I, I go to that website, I have, it's just, I'm concerned in my heart. I have turmoil. I see what's happening in the world. And I think everything is squeezing in on me. The things that I hold dear, the morality that I think we should be living, I look around and I see it isn't happening in this world. And our hearts become heavy. We become despondent. We begin to think we are all alone. But this church is here for you to come and recharge. We are believers to come together to lift each other up and to help each other as we go out into this world. The things of the past, those things that make up the world, the desires of the world, the passions of the world, that time has passed for us as believers. And that brings us to verse 7, where we read, The end of all things is at hand. When Christ came, when he died, when he rose again, 
there was a new day that dawned. There was a time that began that will end with us living with Him for eternity. We are in that last day when we will grow and walk together in this journey to the time when we will be with Him forever. Things have passed. Things are new. We are living in a new world of opportunity as believers in this world together. We are called to have big-hearted love. That's the definition that I'm giving to hospitality. When you're out there in the world and you're struggling, you're feeling despondent, when you come to your brother and sister in Christ, they should have their arms open to you with big-hearted love. A heart that is open to you to take you into their arms to say, I am with you, brother. I am with you, sister. We are together with Christ. What a beautiful picture. What a reason for us to show hospitality to each other. Peter tells us, first, the attitude with which we are to approach this responsibility. We are to avoid getting sucked in by the attractions and challenges of the culture around us. Our call is to be focused on our relationship with God and our brothers and sisters in Christ. This requires discipline and clear thinking about the truth. Verse 7 tells us the end of things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. We are going to the place that this kingdom is being prepared for. Therefore, because of this, be sober-minded. Be self-controlled for the sake of your prayers. Discipline, sober-minded, self-controlled. Are we disciplined when we're living in this world? Are we disciplined to follow those habits of grace, of prayer, of Bible reading, of fellowship with, with our beloved brothers and sisters as we come together and assemble as believers in Christ? Are we practicing and showing those disciplines in our lives? Or are we so caught up in this world that we don't have time for those things? Let me remind you, the past, those things are past. They are behind us. There is a new way for us to walk. We should be walking in that way. We should be identifying with our king, not with the things of this world. But when we begin to identify with this world, it begins to draw us away. So we must be disciplined. We should have self-control. And we should be clear-minded. We should be sober-minded, as it says here. Are you thinking clearly about the decisions in your life? Are you thinking clearly about what your decisions 
chasing after this world will lead to? Are you clear-minded in what is truly important? How do we have a clear mind? We have a clear mind by going to God's Word. His Word forms the structure of our reasoning. We should be thinking according to what we're learning from God's Word. And what does that lead us to? It leads us to this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Hopefully I can dare oh, did I go backward? Forget that. My next point is earnest loving is primary. It is above all. So we're talking about hospitality. And I could tell you, I could give you all kinds of examples of how you should go out and invite people to your house. You should take people out to dinner. You should do all of these things. And we would go out and say, well, Jonathan, that was such a practical message. You gave me so many neat ways that I can show hospitality. But you know what? If you did all of those things, but love wasn't primary, your hospitality was worthless. We are called above all things to keep loving one another earnestly. This is the force and the action of this text. Above all, keep loving, not one time, but keep the process of loving each other. Whether you are here in the pew, whether you are at home, whether you are on the internet, whether you are texting, whether you're in Walmart, love, love, and then love earnestly. This is the intensity of the action. The greatest love is a love that pursues another's comforts and needs, even to the death of your own. That was the love that Jesus showed us. And that should be the basis of our love. It is an earnest love. It is a love that stretches. It isn't a love that just does what's convenient. It is a love that stretches out and pursues the comfort and the need of those that are the object of the love. So let us look in our hearts. What do we love? Do we love the understanding and accolades of this world? Do we stretch ourselves with our time, our finances, our relationships to build a greater comfort and security for ourselves in this world? Look around you. And that's not rhetorical. Look around you. Look. Look at the person beside you. Look at the person across the auditorium from you. Do you have an earnest love? A love that would cause you to pursue the fulfilling, the comfort and needs of your brothers and sisters above your own. That is the love we are called to. Nothing 
less. When Pastor Jim asked me to do this, I was like, oh no, this is not my gift. It is my wife's gift, hospitality, opening the home, um, inviting people over. And there are times she'll say, hey, Jonathan, can we have so-and-so over for dinner on Sunday afternoon? And I'm like, Sunday afternoon, I want to rest. And I'm convicted as I think of this because that should not be my response. My response should be, how can this opportunity present love to this person? This person that I want to give to myself. And that's why I say we need big-hearted love. Because I can say, oh yes, I am commanded to love. And therefore, I will sacrifice and I will love even though I don't want to. No, a big-hearted love is Aunt Bertha. Come and give Aunt Bertha a hug. Come to me. I'm open to you. I'm so excited to see you. My heart is open to you. How can I help you? Here, have another piece of pie. How can I show love to the people in this room? I'm commanded to do that. You see, hospitality, and our second point for tonight, (laughs) or today, is joyful hospitality is necessary. If earnest love is primary, then joyful hospitality is necessary. As we read this passage, it tells us that show hospitality to one another without grumbling. But when you read this passage, the word show isn't there. It's it's kind of implied. There's no verb in this verse. It goes along with the verse before. The hospitality here is tied directly to the earnest love. I'd like to say that the hospitality is the container, the bottle that carries this earnest love. It's It contains it. It's what we use to pour out that earnest love. Hospitality is taken from the word friendly and stranger. Being friendly to strangers. So if you Google the word hospitality, they come up with a pretty good theological definition. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. So in the verse 9... Uh, This action that we see there to show hospitality is implied from the force of loving before. It's the container of what earnest loving looks like. We had the NCAA this um, couple of weekends ago, and I saw a press conference with Coach K, and he was talking about Greenville. And he was commenting, wow, you know, Greenville, this place, he didn't use the word hospitality, but he was like, they roll out the red carpet. They did an excellent job hosting the NCAAs. Well, what's the difference between the Christian hospitality and the hospitality of the Greenville Visitors Bureau? What, what makes a difference 
between the hospitality of this world because this world can be hospitable. What makes the difference between their hospitality and ours? Well, it goes back to that earnest love. There is nothing that we're trying to gain. We're not trying to gain the accolades of more visitors and tourism into our home. (laughs) We are doing it because it is earnest love for others. And it is for others. Hospitality here is to one another. In this church, our hospitality is to be indiscriminate. We aren't to discriminate between who we're showing hospitality to and who we aren't. It's so easy for us to, oh yes, I'm being hospitable. I keep inviting my friends over for for dinner. I'm hospitable. No, the true hospitality that is driven by earnest love is the one that invites the person that perhaps you don't enjoy so much. That is true, earnest, stretching love that is shown in biblical hospitality. It is indiscriminate. Here, we see that it mentions hospitality, and often we think of hospitality as an opportunity to reach out to the world and show Christ to the world. But here it tells us specifically that this hospitality is to be for one another. It's indiscriminate within the church. We are to be focused on this grace within the church. It is reciprocal. The, one, the word one another to one another doesn't tell us who is receiving and who is giving. You are supposed to some days be giving hospitality and showing hospitality, and then at other times you are to be receiving hospitality. And sometimes that's not so easy to do either. Someone invites you over. Ah, go. Receive hospitality. It's as much as important part of hospitality as showing hospitality. And then it is recognized. As we look in the verses that mention hospitality in the New Testament... There are three times where it doesn't really give us much information about hospitality. It just simply says these people show hospitality. And we see that in the deacons, in the elders. And then we also see it as a sign of someone who is an elderly widow indeed. The person who is showing hospitality. It is an exhibit of their lives. So it's indiscriminate, it's reciprocal, and it is recognized. 1 Timothy 3.2, Titus 1.8, show us hospitality used as a list of those attributes of leadership. And then in 1 Timothy 5.10, we see this, the attribute of a widow who is a godly widow. Then we see the hospitality to one another is to be done without grumbling. Uh, Peter uses the negative here. We are prone to grumble. I've already shown (laughs) how I'm prone to grumble. But we are to use the opposite of that. Uh, We're prone to grumble, especially when called to be friendly to someone to whom we don't naturally gravitate. 
The negative is a warning to us that that is an attitude to be avoided. But it also gives us a glimpse into the attitude that we're supposed to have. Grumbling undermines hospitality. If you invite someone over and you're grumbling the whole time, it's going to show. We are supposed to be reaching out with joy. Philippians 2, 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Sound familiar? 1 Peter chapter 4. Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain in his teaching to them. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. This rejoicing together in trial, in fellowship, in praise, always loving, fellowshipping, in joy, rejoicing. Aunt Bertha is so joyful to see you when you show up. Do you have true joy in your heart? I'm not saying feign joy. Open the door. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. In the South, we are so good at this. We can talk big, but inside we're saying, God bless his heart. We should be loving with open hearts. True hospitality does not begin by opening your home. It starts when you open your heart. Big-hearted love opens your arms and says, Come, come. Gifted service is glorifying. We see that joyful, I mean, earnest loving is primary. Joyful hospitality is necessary. And gifted service is glorifying. What does this have to do with hospitality? Well, we read here in verse 10, As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good story stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. The whole reason why we should be doing all of these things is that we should be bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And hospitality should be done with the purpose of bringing glory to God. And how can we show hospitality? We can do it in the way we speak. And we can do it in the way we serve. And these are the two things that Peter says here. You should be serving one another. It is your gift. And you should be speaking to one another, refreshing one another. God-glorifying hospitality is characterized by refreshing speech and sustaining service. When we invite people in, 
Let's do it and serve them. Let's refresh them with speech. When they're coming in out of the world, feeling battered and fighting, refresh them. The cup of cold water of refreshing speech, of encouragement. The service of washing their feet figuratively, bringing them in and welcoming the person who has been beat up that needs our encouragement. Romans 12, 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith is service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who acts in mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Very interesting thing as you look at the use of the word hospitality in the New Testament. There are those three times where it kind of lists hospitality among attributes of people in the church. But every other time that hospitality is used, such as here in Romans 12, verse 13, it is always in the context of love. You cannot have true hospitality without true love. We are called most of all, to have big-hearted love. We love, and that opens our hearts to our brothers and sisters. So we've covered all the verses in the New Testament that mention hospitality, except for one. And it's an interesting verse. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, we like this verse because, ooh, what does that mean? Does that mean that if I invite someone over and I don't know who they are, because surely the guy I know isn't an angel, um, maybe that person is an angel. Well, That actually could be the case. It isn't like it hasn't happened before. Consider Abraham. Abraham had men show up, and they were angels. So who am I to say that it's possible that you may entertain an actual angel when you show hospitality? Other people would interpret this verse and say, well, Angels are the bearers of blessings. And so therefore, when you practice hospitality and you invite people into your home, then you receive a blessing from that. So it's as though you had an angel come into your home. Uh, I was in the restroom. I know I always have a restroom uh, illustration. (laughs) And 
But this morning I was in the restroom and there was a guy came in and you know how awkward it is. You know, you see someone in the restroom and you know, how do you start a conversation in, in the restroom? And I said, you know, I got to figure out a way. So I just, you know, I brought up the 800 pound gorilla in the room. So, you know, it's kind of awkward uh, meeting each other in the restroom. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. And so I said, I, I'm Jonathan. I can't remember exactly how the thing came, the conversation came about. And I said, man, there's something about his voice sounds so familiar to me. And then he said, well, I'm Michael Clark. And I said, you weigh a lot more than you did. Well, I, in my brain, I said, you're bigger than you were. Because I don't know if any of you remember Sandy Clark, Michael Clark. Michael, tall, skinny, beautiful voice. And uh, it was him. I was like, whoa. I just met someone I haven't seen in years. That was a blessing to me. Now, Michael isn't an angel, but what a blessing. What if I had just said, you know, this is awkward. I'm just going to walk out. I could have gone the rest of the day and not seen Michael. What are you doing to reach out? Are you willing to put yourself in these uncomfortable places? Are you willing to do something that maybe you don't feel like you are, have even the ability to do? We talk about this, these, the angel here, but really, that isn't the important thing. It isn't the angel. When we open our doors looking for angels, we miss the opportunity to serve Jesus. Matthew 25, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And he goes on to say, when you did these things, you did it for me. Isn't Jesus so much greater than an angel? We don't need to open our arms in big-hearted love to one another for the blessing of it, that somehow I'm going to get something back because I've shown this big-hearted love to these people. It is enough that we are doing what Jesus did. We open our arms to those people who need us. Pray that God sends you people that need you. Not people that can serve you. We come to Isaiah 55, 1 and 6, that was read earlier this morning, where God says, Come. If you're thirsty, come. If you're hungry, come to me. God, God, has big-hearted love for you. He stands before the world and his arms are open. And he's saying, 
come. I want to feed you. I want to refresh you with the water of life. That is what we are called to. As believers, we are called to be like that. And then Revelation 22, Jesus, the Spirit says, Come, come if you're thirsty, come and drink. Let me refresh you with eternal life. Let me invite you to my home where I am preparing a place for you that where I am, there you can be also. That is the heart of Jesus. And that should be our heart for one another as exiles in this world. So I'm sorry. I haven't given you lots of practical ways to show hospitality. What I hope that you've seen this morning is that hospitality isn't what you do. It is who you should be. It isn't something that we do to obey the commands. It is something we do to be like Christ. Why should I open my home? Yes, it is commanded. But I should open my home because I am a representative of the king who has invited me into his home. And does hospitality end at home? No, it doesn't. Big-hearted love should be happening in this room. So my challenge to you is not, when you go home, who are you going to invite over for dinner next week? That isn't my challenge to you. My challenge is, before you walk out that door, are you going to show big-hearted love to a brother or sister in this room? Are you perhaps going to go to that stranger, that person that, you know, I just don't understand the way his mind thinks. I mean, we're like, Two ships passing in the night. I don't understand him. I am not comfortable around him. Are you going to go to that person? Um, well, maybe don't do that because does this person think I'm strange? You get the drift. Big hearted love is the way we treat each other. Hospitality is the way we treat each other. And that results in inviting people over for dinner, taking people out for coffee, doing those things that reading to someone who is in the hospital bed, visiting a widow. Those are the outpourings of earnest love. They are the bottle of hospitality. Don't think that hospitality is simply inviting someone to your house. It's so 
much more. Hospitality is having the heart of Jesus. It is opening our arms and saying, come, let's fellowship together. Let's enjoy time. Let's find out more about each other. Let's find out more about Jesus together. That is hospitality. That is big-hearted love. Father, there are those of us that you truly have given the gift of hospitality. For some of us, it comes so easily. And I praise you for those people in our church who have this gift. But, Lord, we know that hospitality is this container for love. It's not even listed as one of the gifts all of us are to be practicing hospitality. You have called all of us to use our various gifts within this container of hospitality where we are reaching out to one another, where we are showing your heart to one another. And so I pray that your Holy Spirit, because it is only your Spirit who can do this, may your Holy Spirit change our hearts. May your Holy Spirit cause us to love with a love that only you can give. That even at this moment, before we walk out of this room this morning, we will understand, our eyes will be opened to the call to love with big-hearted love. And then let us take action let us show hospitality to one another, not grumbling, but with joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.